Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast. Hello and welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a category director for beauty and personal care here at Mintel. And today I'm joined by my colleagues Nick and Katie to talk about direct-to-consumer retailing. So direct-to-consumer has become somewhat of a buzz term in recent years as more brands are essentially cutting out the middleman. So with that in mind, today we're going to be exploring what that means for retail and discuss the future outlook for direct-to-consumer businesses. We'll be using the term direct-to-consumer and D2C interchangeably throughout. So just for a bit of clarity, before we get started, D2C essentially just means direct-to-consumer. So to get us started, can I ask you both to very briefly introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi. My name's Katie Hansen. I am a retail and e-commerce analyst here in the US. I'm um, super excited today to talk about the DTC market. Hi, and I'm uh, Nick Carroll. I'm the category director for Retail Insights uh, here in Mintel Europe. And I am equally excited to be here and to talk about direct-to-consumer. Perfect. Thank you. So before we really delve into the conversation, I think it makes sense for our listeners to simply outline what we mean when we say direct-to-consumer. So can one or both of you please just very briefly give us our Mintel definition, so to speak? Yes, well, I'll give it my best go because it's a very gray. There's many gray areas within this, but uh, speaking very simply, a direct-to-consumer model is a strategy where brands uh, sell their products directly to their consumers instead of going through a retailer. Um, now, there's many examples of sort of those brands that are popular presently. People like Allbirds, uh, Peloton, HelloFresh, Glossier, Beauty Pie. You know, multiple across both the UK the US and globally. But the reality is direct-to-consumer is not necessarily anything new. People like Avon have been doing this now for you know now hundreds of years, selling their products directly to consumers without retailers. But what's changed and why there's so much industry buzz at the moment is that um, the rise of e-commerce, the rise of social platforms has broken down barriers for brands that want to sell directly to reach a much broader audience. You know, the, the purpose of retailers was always to allow brands to get their products in front of as many people as possible. The rise of online has meant that, that those barriers have come down and now brands can reach um, that broad audience globally if they wish through minimal effort. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense, Nick. Um, and I'm aligned with you there. I think you know what you say about e-commerce is really key for the direct-to-consumer market. That's where a lot of brands are are being born, more you know, more or less. Um, so instead of you know looking to be in retail, you know they're looking to grow um, solely from their online channels. Perfect. I feel like when we see we see a lot of brands that have been around for a very long time, kind of embracing direct to consumer. So in my head, I'm thinking the likes of Nike. Do we include them? Is that part of are they kind of would they be considered direct to consumer business? Well, I think that's the tricky part is that you know the line between you know a DTC brand and a traditional brand really are are blurring, and it's just kind of where the market is heading because brands are looking to take advantage of all that the direct consumer model has to offer to consumers, um, which I know we'll explore more later on. Um, but yeah, it's definitely becoming more blurry. 
Amazing. So just for a little bit of extra context, how established is the direct-to-consumer market? So how many consumers are buying in this way? Yeah, no, it's it's a quite established um, model and consumers are definitely participating. Um, in the U.S., uh, 40% of consumers have purchased from a DTC brand in the last 12 months. And another 38% said, you know, while they haven't, they would be interested in doing so. So there's quite a bit of interest and active participation happening. Um, and as we mentioned, you know, the line between DTC and traditional brand is, is really blurry at best. Um, and consumers don't really think, oh, I'm purchasing DTC or, or I'm not. It's really about you know, the experience of the brand. Um, and we're also seeing that 67% of consumers feel that, you know, whether or not a brand is DTC doesn't really impact whether or not they shop with the brand. So again, it's all about the experience that consumers are seeking and what a brand can offer them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I feel like we've seen an awful lot of hype around direct-to-consumer. So from your perspectives, what do you think are the benefits of this model and why are we seeing so much hype around it? I think, as Katie already said, the, the blurred lines between the two probably means that the reality is when we see hype around direct-to-consumer brands, it's just because a new brand has had a very good idea and there's a lot of a hype around it. They may choose the model direct-to-consumer because the modern landscape allows them to do that. Um, but I think there is some significant interest within it from the disruptive element of many brands quickly becoming sizable without having that retail relationship that in the past would have necessarily been needed to, to allow them to generate the sales that they have. So I think that sort of freedom or that sort of democratized access to consumers is where there is a lot of buzz in those areas and what that means longer term. Um, but I think the reality is a good idea is a good idea. So it doesn't need to be D2C to be you know, uh, exciting or have buzz around it. But I think the model more broadly is sort of hinting towards a future where there is uh, more equal access given to uh, brands uh, via the internet to consumers. I think the other piece of that too for brands is that they can control the experience that the consumer receives. So, you know, they can develop a website that is a streamlined experience. It's easy for consumers to shop and consumers can also have, you know, a more direct connection with the brand and get the assistance that they need while they're shopping. So rather than brands having to rely on a, a retailer or a middleman to bring that experience to consumers, you know, they can be more hands-on in that experience the shopper receives. So from my understanding of D2C, I feel like there is a lot of brands out there. I feel like it's quite a fragmented market. And so with that in mind, I'm really intrigued to know how and where consumers discover these brands. Where do they learn about them? So, so if we split the market in two, we, we've obviously got the more traditional brands that are moving into D2C and you know, consumers are aware of them. And that awareness is why they're interested in selling directly to consumers and driving some more margin on those areas. But in terms of the startup D2C sector, um, 
a good portion of the sort of marketing drive that grows awareness for those brands, um, at least in the UK and Europe, comes through social media. So the, the sort of greater use of social media that we've seen over the past decade, and in particular, how those social platforms have pivoted themselves towards more advertising-based revenue, has sort of in tandem given growth to this emergence of D2C brands in that sector. So within our data, you know, a quarter of consumers that are aware of D2C brands have found out um, about them through adverts on social media. A further 20% have found out through social media influencers. So it's a really core channel, particularly for those smaller brands who may not necessarily have the sort of marketing budget um, that other uh, larger brands do to really find a very specific audience, market directly to them and build that and foster that community of uh, loyal brand followers in their early stages of their development. Yeah, social media is also really key in the U.S. Um, 40% of consumers who've heard of the direct-to-consumer brand have discovered them through a social media ad. Um, Interestingly, this year, social media um, outranked TV commercials as to where consumers were discovering brands. So social is key, but I also think it goes to show that, you know, a wide diverse range of, of media is also needed because consumers are, are everywhere. So brands also need to be everywhere consumers are in order to grab their attention. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because although social media is really important in terms of finding an initial audience, what a lot of brands can struggle for is continuing or fi- creating that loyalty in that audience longer term. And that's where the, the more diverse marketing mix comes into play. And if you look at sort of those DTC brands that have moved into, say, television advertising, you know, Peloton, you know, infamously uh, maybe doing so in the past, um, what that has done is bring them to a much broader demographic audience than just promoting through social channels. So in the UK, we see that, you know, those that are buying into DTC, they are much younger and much more affluent Um you know, generally, but then actually those brands that are marketing or advertising on uh, television or more traditional mediums, they've got the more broader audience, they've got the bigger audience, and they've moved past what we would say that sort of startup DTC area into more mainstream and um, traditionally competitive brands. Yeah, that makes sense. As businesses grow, it's going to be important to meet the consumer where they are, so to speak, from an advertising perspective. So when we think about how brands reach these consumers and how they engage with them, but also as we think about, you know, what is stopping consumers from engaging with direct-to-consumer brands. So I want to move the conversation on now and think about the deterrence or the barriers to entry. So what factors do you think stop consumers from engaging with these kind of businesses? Um, One of the biggest barriers we're seeing is that consumers just haven't found a need for the products that are offered. Um, And when we think about some of the products that, you know, DTC brands provide, um, a lot of them aren't those those repeat purchases or, you know, they're not something that consumers are going to buy every few months. If we think about, you know, for example, shoes, Um, there's some really great shoe brands, you know, from a direct to consumer perspective, but I don't need shoes every few months, you know, it might be maybe a once a year purchase or something like that. So with so many options out there, you know, consumers just need a reason to, to buy from a DTC brand specifically. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I think is some of the sort of hesitancy from consumers to buy into a DTC brand um, also comes through those sort of channels that many startups are using being social media. So, you know, I think around 40% of consumers in the UK say it's hard to trust um, new brands that they find on social media. Now that's, you know, whether you're D2C, whether you're whatever model you're taking, that's, you know, a barrier that people have to move past. But I think through that channel, and particularly as we are inundated with information and uh, new brands, new services through uh, online channels, it does become harder um, for consumers to sort of weed out what's actually uh, a good brand, a, a good product or good service to invest in. And that's actually going back to our earlier discussion around, you know, how do brand people find out about them? We can't forget that word of mouth and sort of, you, you know, creating that sort of, you know, to use the term market maven element of um, invested, you know, early adopters in your brand to promote the benefits is really important. Around uh, 25, 26% of consumers in the UK said they found out about a DTC brand because a friend or family um, told them to use them. So that's really important. And that's really important for those younger brands to sort of mobilize um, those early adopters into uh, people that can move forward and spread the word about their brand. (laughs) Yeah, no, Nick, that's a great point about word of mouth. um, Because I think consumers also simply forget too. you know, there's so many options and so many uh, brands to choose from that they don't always think about, you know, going to a DTC brand specifically unless they've had a really good previous experience with them. So on that note, I feel like that links quite nicely. What impact do we think store presence or lack of has? Does that impact whether or not consumers shop with these businesses? Well, I think, I mean, it, it, many of them come to the market as what we would call in Europe an online-only or pure play perspective. They don't have a physical presence. Um, but what we are seeing more and more of is as band, brands mature, they're actually moving into physical locations. So in the UK, we've got brands like Gymshark and Castor who are, you know, DTC brands. They have o- both opened their first physical stores in the past year. People like Peloton are taking on more fellow um, physical space and I think what that does is you know it, it takes away the idea that this is a new brand because to have a physical space you have to be established and it's you know official as it were you know to use a bad term but if you're next to Nike that gives your brand some legitimacy rather than next to a hundred other brands on in social media so I think that physical space is really important it's not uh, it's not integral we've also seen many many DTC brands thrive in the um online only space but it is an important um element of trust in your brand that's so interesting about that legitimacy i feel like that's something that we've seen in beauty with the likes of glossier the inky list kind of all experimenting and or rolling out even permanent stores now so that's definitely interesting yeah, no, physical stores have become um, quite important um, and more prevalent too uh, in the U.S. You know, Warby Parker, Casper, Allbirds, um, they all have their own store. And you can also start to find some of these brands in more traditional retailers like Target. So again, kind of going back to, you know, those blurring lines of what a DTC brand is. But being in a store, um, you know, first having their own store 
brings the brand to life for shoppers. You know, they get to experience the product and the brand in its own, you know, branded experience place. But also, you know, being in places such as Target and Walmart, um, consumers can discover these brands as they're shopping, you know, through their everyday shopping journey as well. So instead of relying just on, you know, them seeing a social media ad, now they can browse the aisles at their own leisure and, you know, interact with that product to inspect it and the quality of it um, before they make a purchase, which, which increases their confidence in doing so. So I feel like I now want to think about where we are currently in terms of direct-to-consumer. And I'm really interested to hear from you two because you've been doing a lot of research on this topic at the minute. What examples or what brands would you call out as being so-called best-in-class? Which brands do you think are being the most disruptive, doing something particularly interesting? That's a good one. I'm going to get in first just in case you steal mine, Katie. Um, But no, I I think that there's a host of examples within that. I think I'm going to take one from the more established sector and I'm going to take one from the the startup-y sector, shall we say. But I think uh, from the more established sector, I really enjoyed what Levi's has done in terms of... um, it's moved more into D2C. Obviously, it's still a brand. It still supplies to stores. But what it has done over the past um, sort of 10 years, particularly in, I think it's the same in the US, but in the UK and Europe, has looked to open more of its own physical space to give itself a more direct uh, connection to consumers. And it's done that in a way that adds... Uh, additional elements to that interaction. So in store, they will have uh, customization state uh, stations. They will do alterations. They will give consumers a reason to visit them rather than visiting a retailer. And it brings to life in that area. Core to that has also been the sort of rollout of the loyalty scheme and actually creating a real environment and community around those areas. I think in the sort of more startup space, I've really liked what brands like Grind, which is a smaller startup and um, uh, based in London, um, who operates uh, who operate a uh, cafe in Shoreditch, but they also do um, biodegradable and compostable, uh, essentially Nespresso pods. And they have built that up. They have very interesting and uh, great branding, uh, but they are do that through subscription. So they are solving a problem in terms of the plastic waste elements of more established brands in that sector, but they are doing so with a really interesting and um, community-focused uh, way. Um, so those would be my two picks, but I've got another 10 on my tongue. So. <laughs> There's been quite a few entrants in the beauty and personal care space that have really focused on bringing that customized experience to their consumers. Um, for example, Pros Hair Care comes to mind. You know, they are offering a quiz for shoppers to, you know, take that understands their, you know, environment as well as their own personal, you know, hair care desires, um, and then providing a custom formula for them to, to meet those needs. And again, that's also built on a subscription service. So consumers don't have to think, oh, I need to reorder because I'm running low. You know, that need is just automatically taken care of. Um, and it's another thing they can cross off their to-do list. But we've also seen some really interesting, um, more up and coming entrants um, in spaces such as like early childhood development and even pet food. Um, You know, now we're getting into brands offering customized dog food, you know, for for dog owners who want to provide the absolute best for their furry friend um, without having, you know, just to break their budget. 
So I think that's a really interesting space to talk about. You know, DTC is really focusing on that personalized, customized offering that they can give to their consumers. Yeah, I think that personalization element is going to be a big driver over the next decade. I think, you know, one of the other ones, if I'm going to cheat and choose three that I really like is a brand called Nourished in the UK, which is a vitamin or a supplements uh, brand, but they create custom supplements um, that are based to you. So based on your needs, so they will, you know, and they look great as well. They look like little cakes, but they've done that in a really interesting way. So they, you know, the product looked appetizing, but it's completely personalized to you and is giving you the benefits in those areas. So I do think that sort of that's where DTC can play really strongly um, over the next decade is focusing on the personal rather than sort of the mass market that traditional brands have played in. I think that's so interesting. I feel like I've been rightly or wrongly a little bit skeptical of personalization. Um, The kind of idea of something, whether or not people actually need personalization, but I think it's interesting to see where it's heading. And I think direct-to-consumer is an interesting space to watch from a personalization perspective because I think it's we're starting to see more functionality come through in personalization. It's not just a nice-to-have. It's part of, you know, really, as you say, kind of elevating the user experience, so to speak. Um, So that's definitely interesting and leads me quite nicely onto my next question, which is, as we look forward, we've kind of touched on their personalization being a key kind of driver in why consumers would shop um, in this way. But what are the other factors? Why else would consumers buy into direct-to-consumer brands? Yeah, I think um, price is a key factor for DTC brands. And, you know, a DTC brand might not necessarily be the lowest price, but you are getting a substantially better price for a more luxury product. So you're kind of getting that luxury feel without the associated costs. So, you know, that, that personalized experience, um, a product that is tailored to you, a shopping experience that's tailored to you, there's more added value services um, that, you know, compile into the price that you're paying for the product. Yeah, I think, I mean, price is really important. There was an interesting stat that came out of the UK research where it's uh, two thirds of UK consumers said that brands should offer lower prices when purchasing directly to them, uh, from them than from retailers. And that shows the sort of trade-offs that consumers think they may get if they come straight to you rather than through a retailer. But for multiple different reasons, that's often not the case. Those prices are matched to retailers either to retain relationships or because smaller brands don't have the scale of those bigger brands. So actually, to Katie's point, if you're going direct to consumer, you need to be giving uh, lots of different elements within that. You either need to give that sort of luxury feel or that more personalized take. You need to be offering something unique in the market because if consumers are coming to you expecting the lowest prices and they don't get that, then that's, you know, uh, a potentially negative. And it's the same with delivery as well. You know, Amazon has changed everyone's mindset and what is possible in terms of uh, delivery. You know, next day is, you know, expected now for many consumers but obviously smaller brands can't necessarily do that Um, and that's why we see many actually skirt into the gray areas of direct-to-consumer and move into things like Amazon Marketplace so that they can achieve that but if you're going pure D2C you're not going to be able to deliver unless you delivering next door to someone uh, same day or next day so actually again if you're not meeting the you know modern expectations of price and convenience as a as a dc brand you've got to offer something really innovative or unique or create that more personal connection with that shopper to get past that um you know potential downfall 
Yeah, I think that's interesting in terms of price and how that's tied to value. As you say, one campaign that I really like is Beauty Pie has recently done a campaign um, which uses the tagline overpaying is officially over. So that is very price focused. But as we explore that idea of kind of value and consumers are obviously feeling the pinch in terms of their finances, do we think we're going to see more of that kind of messaging going forward, really focusing in on the value that these brands can offer, whether that be through price or whether that be through other factors like quality and or maybe even touching on things like sustainability as an added layer of value? Yeah, they definitely should. That's <laughs> moving forward. Um, it's a big area of opportunity as consumers are looking to make the most of their dollars. Um, and as you mentioned, sustainability is is a huge area of opportunity for DTC brands. And there are quite a few that that pride themselves on offering a sustainable product. Um, Allbirds comes to mind to me um, specifically. They've really built a brand around creating an environmentally friendly shoe and also trying to change a category that's often environmentally, you know, not not so friendly. Um, so they've done a lot of really interesting things such as making their, um, you know, their formulas open source. They've partnered with traditional brands such as Adidas to really push this, the idea of sustainability into the category as a whole, rather than, you know, just kind of keep it to themselves. They're trying to make an impact for the long term. Yeah, I think this is a great point, Casey. I think the sort of, we know that over the next decade, the sort of rise of conscious consumerism, you know, consumers will be looking to move themselves to better habit, habits in all those areas. And there is a perception that direct-to-consumer is more environmentally friendly. You know, just under half of UK consumers think it's better for the environment to buy directly from brands and from retailers. Whether that's true or not is, you know, a, a matter of debate for another podcast. But the reality is that perception is growing. So D2C brands can trade off that. I think another thing, particularly in the income squeeze, obviously price has to be correct and, you know, you have to be as competitive as possible. But many of those startup brands are just that. They are smaller uh, SMEs or independent businesses. So actually, they can trade on that as well. We see, we have seen in past recessions in the UK, that actually support for independence, support for small business goes up during that period, because the perception is that uh, bigger businesses are able to weather the storm financially than smaller businesses. So actually, those startups, or those D2C brands can actually, you know, talk to consumers in that way. So, you know, find a common relationship in terms of, um, you know, the the tough times we're going through. Now, whether that translates into purchasing is a whole different beast, but there is an element within that that consumers will be more willing to uh, spend a couple of percent more with an independent brand that they may be more willing to do than uh, from a mass market brand. So again, as we're looking forward and the kind of thinking about the outlook for direct-to-consumer or the direct-to-consumer model, from your perspectives, how easy, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit in a few different places, but how easy is it to start a direct-to-consumer business and how easy is it to maintain and have success, I guess? Um, it's easy to start, but the challenge is growing and, you know, staying ahead of the competition. Um, there's so many new entrants into the market um, that brands, you know, need to find ways to differentiate themselves through all the noise and give consumers a reason to, to keep coming back. Yeah, I think, as Katie said, it's very easy to start a business. <laughs> the, the sort of access to consumers or to potential consumers that 
online or the internet or on social media platforms give is unprecedented. So it's very quickly, uh, you're very able to quickly find an audience if you have a good idea. Um, but it is the harder part is maturing that business. I think that's why so many uh, successful D2C brands over the past couple of years have had some form of subscription baked into their offering, uh, be it, you know, the likes of HelloFresh, pure subscription or Peloton, you know, obviously sells you a product, but also sells you a subscription alongside that. Because once you've got, um, you know, that early interest, you know, eking that interest out over a subscription period, can give the business an element of stability as it looks to grow. Um, I think the, the, the big issue in uh, the DTC market at the moment is because there's so much interest from it from a media or a industry perspective, it is the hot ticket, as it were, is that a lot of these brands come in and shine really brightly and then can't necessarily match expectations. So if, if we look at what Peloton's currently going through, it has more than doubled its sales over the past couple of years, helped by the pandemic, etc. But it has naturally had to lower expectations as we move into um, you know, a period where people might not be exercising in home as much and there may be a more difficult growth, but it is still a $4 billion business. But the reality is it's, you know, it, the, the investors that came into that business uh, thought it would be a $25 billion business by next year. So it's trying to judge in those expectations within that. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to caveat the it's very easy to start a business because I'm sure there's lots of people listening who uh, are probably starting a business and uh, not necessarily finding it the easiest process, but it's easier than it's ever been before. I feel like that's the argument, right? That yes. is the argument. And, uh, you know, all, all the, you know, whether you're a DTC brand or whether you're any other kind of brand, the, the, the simple mantra is if you've got a good product at the right price in the right place, um, you're, you know, on the first road, uh, first foot on the road to success. But I think having it in the right place is the area we're talking about it being easier now, you know, the, the access to consumers has been used. So, no, it, please don't inundate us with calls that it's hard to start business. <laughs> um, so, Final question, and this is quite a big one and quite a broad one. What do you both think are the biggest opportunities when we think about direct-to-consumer or the direct-to-consumer model at the minute? Um, I think, you know, the biggest opportunity I see for the direct-to-consumer market is leaning into that personalization. Um, you know, that that is really what the DTC model can offer consumers that a more traditional brand can't. Um, you know, consumers want that elevated experience. You know, they want it to be tailored to them and, you know, they want that opportunity to customize products to fit their specific needs. Um, and, you know, we're seeing over half of consumers, you know, find that DTC's brands offer those more unique products. Um, and so it's just really an opportunity for DC, for DTC brands to capitalize on, um, you know, that more one-on-one -on -one engagement um, can help drive loyalty and, and cut through some of the noise in the market. I think that's slightly stolen my answer there. So I'm going to take, uh, take a more controversial one. I think one of the biggest opportunities for DTC brands is to mature into uh, a wider reaching brand. And I say that because what DTC has done or the sort of access to consumers that, you know, is driving current um, growth in DTC is allowed uh, startups to get proof of concept of their idea and, you know, make it unavoidable for retailers and for those middlemen, as you put it at the start of this call, to... Um, 
to be aware of those brands and to potentially be listed. Because the reality is, even in the UK, which has a highly developed online market, seven in every £10 spent in UK retail is still spent in stores. So the access to consumers that uh, retailers give is still really powerful. So for most brands in there, the, the goal is still to list with a retailer, but now they can have that proof of concept and they can also be that expert in that area. In the UK, Tesco, so UK's biggest retailer, is, uh, was looking to break into the um, sexual wellness uh, market as, as you know, interest in that area has grown. And rather than, say, developing its own line of um, toys or, you know, this is a family-friendly podcast, but uh, own line of those types of products, it looked to Love Honey, a D2C brand that has steadily built over the last 15 years, a real core and market leadership in that area. And therefore, D2C has given it its platform to now partner with one of the largest brands or largest retailers in the UK. So I would see D2C as a, a huge opportunity as a, a startup to evolve and move into new directions. Perfect. Thank you very much. Sadly, that is all we've got time for today. I'm going to attempt to do a very quick summary. And although I've said it was my last question, I might loop you back in to confirm or disagree with my very brief summary of what we've talked about today. So to round up, essentially direct-to-consumer or the direct-to-consumer model is a really powerful way to engage consumers and drive loyalty. And as I've said, as we mentioned before, it's, you know, it's, it's easier than ever before to start this kind of business because of the ability to go direct-to-consumer in a more accessible way via online channels. But actually what's difficult is scaling it and that's where meeting the consumer where they are whether that be in terms of marketing messages or you know where they are shopping is going to become more and more important and then actually fundamentally the success drivers of these businesses essentially just mirror the wider market in that it's going to be so important to have those fundamentals like a good product at the right price in the right place with the right messaging surrounding it so that is my very quick takeaway from today anything else to add or disagree with um, yeah perfect so on that note i want to say thank you for joining us thank you to nick and katie for talking to me about this today if you want to know more about mintel who we are and what we do head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media we're on linkedin instagram twitter and facebook and check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts and additionally this podcast is timing quite nicely with the publication of a direct-to-consumer report in both the UK and the US. So if you're a Mintel subscriber, please do keep an eye out for those reports to get even more insights around this topic and learn even more from our analysts. So thank you again for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you like what you've heard, please do spread the word and look out for our next episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. 